And if you have a copy of God's Word this morning, you can begin opening it to, for the last time, at least this go-around, uh, the book of James. We are headed to the very end of James, chapter 5, and we're going to look this morning at the final portion of James' letter in verses 13 through 20, and this will finish out our series for the last several months that I have entitled, Talk the Talk and Walk the Walk. Um, if you've been with us over the last several weeks, you've noticed that one of James' primary messages through uh, the latter half of chapter 3 into 4 and into 5 is James really wanting to go there with Christians and talk about how do we handle when really hard things happen. So he specifically walked us through when persecution happens, when injustice happens, when poverty happens. Uh, And now here at the end, he's going to talk about when sickness and when sin happen. How do we as brothers and sisters in Christ, where do we begin? What do we do? And what we'll see clearly is with James' final words on the topic, his last words of encouragement to his people in this letter, he is going to remind us of the power and the purpose uh, in praying and calling out to God, asking for his help, praying fervently, and really trusting that God will always answer better than we can even ask. Um, In in this uh, seven or so verses, James is also going to be very specific about What exactly do we do when sickness takes place? How do we pray for that? When suffering takes place, how do we pray through that? Uh, When we are satisfied, how do we pray? And when we sin, how do we pray? And so I hope that ultimately our time in God's word this morning will stir our affections for calling out in prayer to the God of the universe who is available 24-7 to hear the cries of his people. Hear now the word of God to us, James chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Let's begin with prayer this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is perfect, it is holy, it is without error. Lord, it is everything that we need for godliness and wisdom and for life. And so, Lord, we submit ourselves to you, even as we submit to your word. We thank you that the message of the gospel, hope, new life, forgiveness for sins, your kindness and your mercy is contained. Lord, fill our hearts with it afresh this morning. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Three applications that we see here from James and his final words to us. Uh, Ways that he is going to call us to run to the Lord in prayer. Number one is this. Pray and praise together when you're suffering, satisfied, or sick. We see this in verses 13 through 15. Again, pray and praise together when you're suffering, satisfied, or sick. 
The Bible, interestingly enough here, and James, the human author, says very particularly that both in suffering and in cheerfulness that we ought to pray, that we ought to call upon God. If you want to live a radically countercultural life, if you want to live a radical life following Jesus, then here is a recipe for you that instead of getting bitter and complaining or becoming angry when things happen that are bad, difficult circumstances, call upon God in prayer and ask for his help. If you want to be a world changer, then instead of forgetting about what God has done or congratulating yourself when things go well, when good things happen, then call upon God and say, thank you, God. I'm grateful to you for what you have done and are doing in my life. Thank you for answered prayer. This reality is one of the many reasons that we gather together as a church family every Sunday to give God praise for what he's doing, even in the hard times, and to call upon him in prayer in a variety of ways and ask for God's favor, ask for God's kindness, his blessing, his power. I wonder uh, if you would consider, particularly this morning, though, how much time do you spend in prayer on your own? What does it look like for you to get alone with God on a consistent, even daily basis and bring the inevitable needs that you have before him? Praise him for the things that he's doing, whether you find yourself on the sandy beaches or you find yourself in the middle of the storm this morning. The uh, ancient historian Eusebius tells us a little bit outside of the scripture, gives us a little more info about this man, James, who wrote this letter to the church. Eusebius writes this about James' prayer life. It says, his knees grew hard like a camel's because of his constant worship of God, kneeling and asking forgiveness for the people. That's humbling. I think our prayer this morning can be, Lord Jesus, give us that same heart of prayer like, like a man named James, not perfect, a sinner saved by grace, but one who genuinely desired to talk the talk and walk the walk of following Jesus. And now James gives us several very specific instructions about what we should do, particularly when that suffering is sickness. And and the first instruction he gives, he says that the sick should call the elders of the church for prayer and anointing with oil. Now, maybe this is a very familiar passage to you. Maybe this is the first time you've ever heard it. But I'll say for me, one of the striking things right off the bat is actually that James tells the sick person to do the asking. Uh, I will say to you, very, I want you to hear me say, as your pastor and one of your elders, um, I might beat you to the punch. I, I, we and I love to pray for you. I am eager to pray for you. And so if, if I see that you are sick, I may beat you to the punch. But I think what James is pointing out here is that we ought to constantly come before the Lord and engage all of the ways that he has offered to us. And so he's saying, go and ask the elders for prayer. Test out God, in fact. See if you can ask for too many things promise you that there is no expiration or cap on the amount of things that we can ask of God or the amount of times that we can call upon him in prayer. There is no situation that's too serious that God won't handle. There's no sin that you can commit that he will say, I'm no longer listening to you. So try to wear out God with your prayers. James then says that the elders should pray over this sick person, the sick individual. Um, Notice that the verse does not refer to any sort of supernatural gift of healing. 
Rather, it reminds us that the healing is done by the power and by the will of God alone, which is why it says specifically that the elders should pray in the name of the Lord. And then it says that the elders should anoint the sick person with oil. Um, Let me be clear about a couple things right here. This oil is not medicine, and this oil is not magic. Um, It is also not the Catholic um, sacrament of last rites. Uh, The the sacrament of last rites, as the Catholic Church teaches, uh, is unbiblical and falsely teaches that this anointing of oil right before you die will actually remove any remaining sin. Uh, We know that that is utterly counter to what the Scripture teaches about salvation by grace. Rather, what the New Testament is doing here is picking up the Old Testament. See, in the Old Testament, the kings of Israel, when they became king, they would anoint them with oil. Again, it wasn't magic there either. It was a symbol. And it was a symbol that reminded us of God's presence being with and for the new king over Israel. Here, when the elders are told to anoint the sick person with oil, it is the same. The oil is a physical element, but it is a symbol of a spiritual reality that the elders are praying. The, the oil is the symbol, the elders praying is the mechanism, and it is God who will heal. It is God who will now give his special attention and care to the person who is sick. Uh, so really, the only debate that we should ever have around the oil is the obvious, should we go with doTERRA or should we go with Young Life? And I'm going to stay out of that one because I could get in a lot of trouble with my family. Then it says that there is this promise of healing tied to the prayer of faith. And I think this is where probably we struggle the most as we read this this teaching from James, the promise of healing and the prayer of faith. Um, This verse makes a very clear, very bold claim that if we pray in faith that God will heal the person that we are praying for. Now, uh, this should raise some very real tensions within your heart uh, because we both trust in God's power and I'm sure that every single one of us could identify someone sick uh, that we love, that we have prayed for, and we did not necessarily see ultimate healing, physical healing take place in their life. And so we need to understand what is contained here within this promise of Scripture. Uh, I'm going to give you two, two realities here that I think help us understand what James and what the whole of Scripture is teaching here. First, the promise of healing should challenge us who need to be reminded that God is powerful, that God is, present tense, a miracle worker, and he does answer all of our prayers. If you are a note taker, I know that was a very long sentence, and for that I apologize. But the promise of healing should challenge us to remember that God is powerful. He is a miracle worker, and he does answer all of our prayers. Nowhere in the Bible do we get the idea that that we are to assume that God will not answer our prayer. Rather, what we see is that God cares compassionately for the hurts, for the struggles, and the needs that are in your life. Second would be this reality that, again, we see from the abundance of Scripture. Hear me out when I say that God's promise is always conditional. God's promise is always conditional. Now, then the logical follow-up question would be, well, okay, conditional upon what? And you really only have two options because there's sort of only two people in the room. There's you and there is God. 
it is either, this promise is either conditional on whether you have enough faith, of which there is many a church that would teach that, or it is conditional upon the sovereign goodwill of your loving Heavenly Father. Those are the two choices. It is either conditional on have you had enough faith or on the sovereignty of God. In total opposition, contra-prosperity gospel teaching, of which is rampant in our country, nowhere in the scripture does it suggest that if a person isn't healed, that it must have mean that that person was somehow lacking in enough faith. I have read stories of pastors of churches who disowned their spouse because the spouse was sick and didn't get better, and their claim was, well, then my spouse must just not have enough faith. Let us not mistreat a fellow believer or any human being in such a way. We have a very clear, one of many examples in Scripture that teaches this reality. Paul himself, the Apostle Paul, who prayed fervently, was not healed. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 through 10. Paul gives us this testimony, and he's not complaining, by the way. He's praising. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. We don't know what it was, whether it's more emotional or physical, but there's something that hurts him. Sickness, pain, depression, we don't know. But he prayed, God, take it away from me. Verse 9, but he, the Lord, said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Now Paul says, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Ultimately, uh, we understand that no one is truly healed in this life. No one among us can stand up and say, I am without any physical ailment. And we understand that absolutely every single one of us one day will experience some sort of sickness or trauma that will end in our death. The promise is not an automatic healing in this life of every single issue. James' promise is not a blanket guarantee that every time we pray for physical healing that God will physically heal you. The command here is to ask in Jesus' name, according to his will, his sovereign will and promise, and that God will answer according to his sovereign goodness and wisdom. What God does promise more clearly throughout the scripture is that he always promises to spiritually, eternally heal, meaning give salvation to those who are in Christ, who have asked him to be his personal Lord and Savior. And so the promise is the Lord will heal as he discerns physical healing here in this life. But those who have called upon Christ will be spiritually healed in a very real and eternal place called heaven, where there will be, the Bible says, no sickness, no sadness, no tears, and we will experience his glory forever and ever. And then James adds this little nugget in. He says, essentially, when it is necessary, confess your sin and ask for forgiveness. Now, again, we have another interesting piece here for James because I think it's easy for us to shy away from this part because we don't want to come across, again, as assuming that your sickness is the result of sin. But again, that is not what James is stating as a blanket reality. 
Verse 15, if you look at it again, says if. If. In other words, if the sickness is the result of sin, believers should confess their sin and ask for physical as well as spiritual healing, restoration. This is another invitation for us to invite God into our hearts and to go with him in in searching out and doing a hard look at our own heart before the Lord. The book of Psalms picks up this, this invitation and really command when it says this, this is David's prayer, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting, Psalm 139, 23, and 24. Now, we have within the scripture, both Old and New Testament, examples of moments where somebody's sickness was the result of sin, and we have example where somebody's sickness was not the result of, of sin. So first, again, Paul, when he's giving us in 1 Corinthians 11, the instructions about how to take the Lord's Supper, and you hear me read these instructions every time that we take the Lord's Supper together, he gives us an example where sickness is the result of sin. Look at 1 Corinthians 11. These are the final two verses of those instructions when he says, anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. So the threat is so strong, the caution and the warning is so strong that if you are taking the Lord's Supper in a wrong way, James is saying that Some of you are sick for that reason, that there has been a sin issue that has brought you to that place. But that is absolutely not always the case. It requires discernment. Uh, The disciples wrongly assume that a man who was born blind, that it must have been a sin issue that caused his blindness. And this was a particularly common cultural reality in that day, that if somebody was sick, that it must be the result of some sort of sin and that God must inevitably be punishing them. But listen to what Jesus says. This is John chapter nine. And his disciples asked him, Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Way to make the assumption here, guys. Verse three, Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. So again, God in his sovereignty has chosen to allow this man to experience, at least for a season, the grief and the hardship of blindness. And then four verses later, Jesus heals his blindness. We have here the gift of being honest about sin with God. Not only that, we can be honest with each other about sin because Jesus has made a way to solve the ultimate and greater problem of sin. We worry about sickness, and we should, but there is a much greater problem. It is sin, and Jesus has solved that problem through his death and resurrection, which is why we can be honest with God, which is why 1 John 1, 9, among many verses, says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Number two, we see now in verses 16 through 18, James is shifting now from uh, us and our sickness and God and, and how the elders play a role in that to now the one anothering of the church. Number two, pray and confess together when you struggle in sin. He shifts away from the physical dilemma of sickness and moves more into the dilemma of just personal sin. 
He says this again, reading verses 16 through 18 of our passage. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. You can go back to 1 Kings and read the entire story that James here is referencing. But his point is that there is power in believers doing the one another of admitting or confessing their sins to one another, and then also praying for one another about those things. Notice here that he is no longer talking specifically to elders, but the audience is the entire church, all believers, because we can confess our sins to God, knowing that Christ has solved that problem, and therefore we can also confess our sins to one another and support one another in the ongoing struggle of of sin and temptation that we will experience inevitably until the day that Jesus takes us home. God here is calling us to honesty, to transparency, dare I say the dreaded word, accountability in one another's lives. And what that looks like is just the honest, hey man, I'm struggling in this particular area. I don't want to keep doing this alone. Can I talk with you about this? And will you pray with me for this? And will you walk with me through this struggle? Whether it be an issue of sickness or pain or it be a very real issue of sin, we ought not to do it alone. Galatians chapter 6 gives us this beautiful command. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, fancy word for sin, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. That means if somebody is, is humble enough to admit that they're struggling, don't kick them in the head for it. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Don't approach it with arrogance. Recognize you too could struggle with the same thing. Verse two, listen to this command. Bear one another's burdens. What does a healthy, powerful church look like? Bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. Now let me give us another clarifying point here. This uh, this command that James is giving is also not... Uh, the Catholic idea of confessing to a priest, which is also unbiblical. Uh, here is why, one of many places. First Timothy 2.5 tells us why it's unbiblical. Uh, it says this, For there is one God, and there is one mediator, the go-between, between God and men. Who is it? The man Christ Jesus. Jesus is our great high priest. Because of what Jesus has done, we have direct access to God the Father. Because of what Jesus, who is fully God, has done, we can talk to God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit at any time. And so the regular experience of a believer should be this, that we can call upon God directly, admit where we have sinned. God, I'm struggling here. I I just want to confess to you the, the ways that I'm struggling knowing that because of Jesus' finished work, his death on the cross and his resurrection, our sins have been forgiven. And therefore, that we can honestly talk with one another. I am not your priest. One another, we are not your priest. Jesus is the great high priest. And then, after saying that there's power in confessing, it says there is power in praying for one another. And he gives us here the Old Testament illustration of Elijah, the Old Testament prophet Elijah. And uh, 
if you consider the, the realities of Elijah's life, he saw and was a part of some amazing, miraculous things. And yet, James says, he was a dude just like you and me. He's a regular person, just like you and me. He was not some sort of spiritual superhero. He did not have access to doTERRA oils that you guys can't get a hold of. He was a regular guy. In fact, if you go back through the life of Elijah, you'll see that he actually has some major doubts. He has some major, what I'm going to call depression that he struggles with um, throughout his life and his ministry. But he was faithful. He trusted God. He prayed fervently and he saw God answer prayer. And James is saying, we have the same ability. We have the same opportunity and invitation. We can pray fervently or passionately and powerfully that a, a transparent, confessing church that is honest about our sins doesn't hide them and that constantly is calling upon God for his power in our lives. That is the church that is powerful, real power, honesty, confession, and prayer. There is a, a church father from the first several hundred years, kind of about a hundred years after uh, the New Testament has finished being written. Uh, his name is Chrysostom, and he wrote this about the power of prayer. He said, the potency of prayer has subdued the strength of fire. It has bridled the rage of lions, hushed anarchy to rest, extinguished wars, appeased the elements, expelled demons, burst the chains of death, expanded the fates of heaven, assuaged diseases, dispelled frauds, rescued cities from destruction, stayed the sun in its course, and arrested the progress of the thunderbolt. There is in it an all-sufficient panoply, a treasure undiminished, a mine which is never exhausted, a sky unobscured by clouds, a heaven unruffled by the storm. It is the root, the fountain, the mother of a thousand blessings. Were he a modern, he would say, hashtag pray. Consider for just a second the example of Jesus, though. Because Jesus' life and reality is instructional for us. Because if Jesus himself, the Son of God, needed brothers in his life and needed others to pray with him when he was going through dark circumstances, what does that say about you and me? If Jesus himself felt the need to obey God the Father by engaging in biblical community, then what does that say about us? It's very easy for us to have the mentality of, you know, I know Jesus needed others. He needed brothers. He needed those 12 disciples. He needed biblical community, but I'm good. I've got a podcast I listen to. I'm all set. But recognize that on the very night that Jesus was betrayed, probably the darkest of all dark, terrifying moments in his earthly life, Jesus said, I need some brothers who will go with me, stay awake, and pray with me as I face the terror of being betrayed. Jesus needed Christian community, then we certainly need people in our lives to pray for us and with us, to ask the tough questions of us, to be honest with one another, and to go through hard times together. Third and finally, James has given us a little tag here in verses 19 and 20. The instruction here, number three, is this, pursue a brother or sister who wanders from the Lord. Pursue a brother or sister who wanders from the Lord. Listen again to the end of this passage. 
My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So this is James' final words in the whole five chapters of the letter. He gives us these last two verses to kind of punch it home. Remember, the the whole five chapters, James is obviously extremely in your face. He is not bashful about calling out sin. He is not bashful about calling believers who have been filled with the Holy Spirit, saved by God's grace, moved from death to life, to follow Jesus, to talk the talk and to walk the walk. But in no way does he teach us to make it a self-righteous thing where it's out of our own goodness and good works. It's always built out of God's grace and mercy and the new life that he has gifted us. And so here at the end, appropriately, he commissions us with two last verses and he says, don't overlook the brother or sister who has wandered away. Part of the reality here is he's talking to the entire church and he spent five chapters talking about ways that all of us in big and small ways have wandered away. It's a reminder of the power of God's grace to bring back that one who has wandered. But he's specifically saying here, if you've given up on that brother or sister, don't give up. I think that hits hard because we can all think of someone that we've given up on. And the Bible here is saying, implicitly, it's saying, keep praying for them. But explicitly, what it's saying is go and talk to them. Challenge them lovingly, speak the truth in love about the sin that is going on in their life and remind them that there is grace and hope, second and third and 10th and 20th chances in Jesus. He says, if, if it's a believer, then you've won your brother or sister back to Christ and they can experience God's kindness and mercies and forgiveness afresh. And if it's someone who's not a believer, or maybe it's somebody who's been in and around the church for many years, they've been in a Christian family, but they've never actually asked Jesus to be their Lord and Savior, then you have the opportunity to lead them to saving faith in Christ. All of us, the, the perpetual experience, though, is that in our hearts, we tend to wander from God, and in His grace, He calls us back, and He's inviting us as Christians to be a part of, of the, the reaching out. Think about the heart of God. Who is God? Who is God the Father, particularly? Uh, remember the Pharisees' accusation of Jesus? They say, this man, this Jesus, he eats with sinners, And this is what Jesus says uh, in response to that. This is the book of Luke, chapter 15, verse 4 through 7. He says this, What what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. That is the heart of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So maybe you are that sheep. Maybe in one way or another, you are the one who has wandered from God's truth. You are the one who has gone after lesser things, hoping that they would satisfy the hungers in your life, and you have realized over time that they are not going to satisfy. 
Maybe you are the person you would say, you know what, I've lived a pretty good life to this point in my life. I haven't broken any major commandments. I haven't been arrested. I'm a pretty good person. Or maybe you would say, I have made a mess of my life. I have destroyed it and I feel like I can't get it back. In both cases, the gospel is for you. Salvation in Jesus is for you. And I would say this to you, if you have never confessed, admitted to God the Father, I'm a sinner. Even on my best days, I'm a sinner. And I need your forgiveness. I need you to change me from the inside out. I want a new life. I don't want to keep following the wandering paths that I have followed because they don't work. I want to follow you, Lord Jesus. That is a prayer that God always answers, yes. Call upon him today. We here at New City Church, as a church, as a gathering of people, we are a gathering of hopeless sinners who are realizing day by day that we have radically underestimated how sinful we really are. And we have radically underestimated how amazing God's grace and goodness is. Join the party. Jump in with us. Let's be a people who call upon God. Call upon him today. Ask for his grace and his forgiveness. If I can challenge each one of you as we go our separate ways this week, I want you to think now for just a second about this week of prayer and fasting coming up. Um, I think at this point you at least know what the word prayer is, but you may be going, fasting, what is that? I don't run. Let's, let's talk through what, what, we're, what we're talking about here. I am asking, we are asking that we as a church set aside one week and say, we want to make this week in a special way about talking to God. Maybe you already have very well-built-out rhythms of prayer, or maybe you'd say, I don't really ever talk to God. Let this week be a week that you stop what you're doing and you spend some time each day talking to God in prayer. Um, I'm very grateful to McCartney who put together this prayer guide for you. It is very easy to follow. There is a humongous pile back there at the welcome table. If, If you can read, grab one of these books. Uh, If you want to take a few extra and give them to somebody who might want to participate with us, please do so. We have plenty, and we'll have them available digitally throughout the week as well. I want to challenge you to specifically take at least 20 minutes every day and talk to God. Is that a magic number? No. Is there a scripture that says 20 minutes a day? No. I made it up, guys. But I think it's a great place to start. Uh, And you'll see a couple of scripture and a couple of guideposts in here that say, here's some things to begin praying about. It is not an exhaustive list. It is a jumping off point. But will you begin to call upon God? Say, God, forgive this nation for our sins. God, change our city. God, I'm struggling in this area of my life. Would you move powerfully? It hurts. God, this person, I've given up on them. Would you save them? Whatever it might be. Let's pray. And fasting uh, simply means giving something up. Most often we associate fasting with food and and maybe we do it out of a a health requirement. What I'm challenging you, what the scripture is challenging you to do, this is a very biblical activity or discipline to fast something. Something that is meaningful and valuable to you. Some good gift that God has given you, you're gonna say this week, in some specific way, I'm gonna commit in advance to, to set that aside, to give it up to remind me that of all the good things that God gives me, what I need most of all is him. If you give up food, let that hunger of, man, I could really go for a burger and some fries right now. 
let that hunger remind you that the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. That the deepest hunger that you have in your life is for the God of this universe. And as you fast, call upon him in prayer. I'm not asking anybody to not eat for the next seven days, by the way. Uh, we're talking about, in my household, giving up the, uh, the evening snacks. Anybody? Anyone? Anyone? Evening snacks? Just me. Okay, cool. We're thinking about giving up the evening snacks. Maybe it's TV. Maybe it's video games. Maybe it's your phone. Even for a, an amount of time, that may be way harder than food for some of us. But be willing to give that up so that you can more specifically focus on prayer. Let's pray now. Let's kick it off. We're going to worship. Our kids are going to rejoin us. And um, let's talk to God.